Hey guys, before we get started today, I wanted to remind you that the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny is presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. And I wanted to tell you to check out That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. This week, Sarah's chatting with the National Women's Soccer League Commissioner, Lisa Baird. A couple of commissions cutting it up. In case you missed it, Sarah recently announced that she is now a minority owner of the Chicago Red Stars of the National Women's Soccer League. On top of that, Stephen A's World Streams weekdays on ESPN+, Plus, bringing fans Stephen A's entertaining perspective and deep expertise with signature guests. The best interviews from Stephen A's World are now available as a podcast every Wednesday. You can catch That's What She Said and Stephen A's World wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks the no tag clause means he doesn't have to wear a collar. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes, and I am joined by, I, I think, the perfect guest for maybe the most chaotic moment. It's not the most chaotic moment in the NFL. That's going to be next week, but it's been pretty chaotic today, Field Gates. It has been. It feels weird, and I've had a lot of conversations over the past couple of weeks with people people that cover the NFL, people that work inside the NFL, production staffers at ESPN, basically saying, hey, like, we need some news right now because we can no longer cut up the Dak Prescott contract analysis <laughs> like, any other way. And then today, it was like we, within the course of 24 hours, not only does Dak get a long-term deal, but we have 10 players, including Dak, get a franchise tag, notable cuts, restructures, uh, extensions, Oof. you name it, it all came in one day, which is good for our business and it gives something to talk about. Um, but it's been sort of, uh, it's been a test of our, of our readiness, right? Because for a while we could kind of just operate in cruise control. I was definitely in cruise control on the DAC stuff. I was like, which of my DAC arguments do you want today? Do you want his <laughs> QBR from the last five years? Oh, speaking of news, by the way, um, you guys know Field is one of the co-hosts of the Fantasy Focus football podcast, but he is also now one of the co-hosts of First Draft, which I am listening to regularly as I prepare for the draft. We're going to do plenty of draft coverage as well, but First Draft, which he does with Todd and Mel, of course, must listen right now. It means you're extremely plugged in to prospects. So I imagine you're going to be watching Trey Lance's Pro Day on Friday. Oh, I can't wait. And Trey, you and I have discussed this on text, <laughs> but we both are enamored by Trey Lance for a lot of the obvious reasons, Mina. But we also have spent too much time on Saturdays and Sundays of all time, like exchanging like which plays against Butler or South Dakota State <laughs> we were watching. And whether we were watching uh, South Dakota or South Dakota State, not realizing for a while that there was a difference between the two, which is more my error than anything else. So um, the First Draft Podcast is so fun because Mel and Todd, in an industry where there are so many people covering the draft, their passion is simply unmatched. I always love talking to them because you can just feel it through our conversations. Just a couple of really cool human beings cutting it up on Saturdays and Sundays, texting each other about Trey Lance, you and I. Um, we're going to talk about that. We're Not today, but we have plenty of time to talk about that. I'm I actually really excited for this pro day. But today, first we're going to talk about Dak because that's the big deal. And of course, we need to address it. Um, I don't know why I said that in such somber tones. We need to address it, but we will. But I actually came up with a specific construct to discuss with you today that was a really fun exercise for me, which is um, I picked the worst team in every division by record last year, 
And I thought we could talk about how they should try to get better, simply put, uh, which is, I think, not only useful and fun, but also I imagine fans of those teams, which include the Jets, the Falcons, the Bengals, et cetera. Like they, we don't talk about them a lot or we didn't at the end of last season. So um, I think it'll be fun for them and for teams that are interested in the quarterbacks, because arguably at least six of these teams are in the quarterback market ahead of the draft and even considering some of the free agents out there. Yeah, it's sort of like intuitive that teams that finish last are going to, generally speaking, have a quarterback need. But this year feels even different, Mina, because of, like, it may not necessarily be a need right now, but it's a year or two away from being a major need, and it creates some really difficult, maybe not difficult, but really interesting dilemmas for teams, uh, not to sort of spoil the entirety of the conversations later, but, like, if you're Atlanta... Atlanta's my favorite. You need a quarterback right now because you have Matt Ryan, but how much more do you have of Matt Ryan and how many opportunities are you going to have to pick in the top four like you do right now? You can just draw a straight line from that Trey Lance conversation to Atlanta. I think Atlanta's the most interesting team in the draft. And let's talk about them first after we talk about Dak because I I think they're so fascinating. Um, So Dak or pardon me, the Cowboys are a team that no longer has a question mark at quarterback. Uh, headline number, of course, four years, $160 million, $66 million signing bonus, $126 million in guaranteed money. To me, the most important things are the length of the contract, the fact that Dallas cannot trade nor tag him, um, and really just the fact that now that they've got the deal in place, their cap hit this year drops to somewhere in the low twenties. I forget like 22, 20 ish, uh, which makes them about flat cap wise. Of course, there's still more financial massaging they can do. And I guess at the end of the day, I feel like you and I, I know we agree that they had to get a deal done. Obviously they would have been better off getting a deal done in the past. But what I saw in live is like, if you're a team, if you're a fan of any other team, you are unhappy that this deal got done. And that to me is like the ultimate arbiter of whether or not it's a good deal. Like, sure, we can quibble about 35 million, 39 million, 40 million. But now Dallas has one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. And it's kind of as simple as that. Yeah, I was thinking about it that way, Mina, because like if you remove the name and the circumstances and you just said a top 10 quarterback and we can argue, nitpick, whether it's 10, whether it's 12, whether it's eight. I'm not really here to litigate that part of it, but let's call it a roughly top 10 quarterback was just signed to a four-year contract that is not going to dramatically compromise your cap this year. And based off of what we're hearing about how the NFL's new TV deals are coming together, probably won't compromise you that much in future years either. Would you consider this a win or not a win? And again, you've removed Dak from that, and I think it's pretty obvious it's a win. Dak, without doing anything on his own, um, has become polarizing because of what he represents, right? A guy who some believe is not quite in that top 10, but is going to be paid as the number two quarterback. But this is a big day for the Dallas Cowboys. And even if they ended up spending more than they maybe desired to two years ago when they started negotiating, They have their best player locked up through 2024 and a lot of ability, at least in my opinion, to be very competitive, not win this division. 
any of the next four years, if not each of the next four years. So, okay, so it's 22 million, then 33, then 44 or 47, which again, with the cap going up as it's going to, um, it just makes sense. But it's an undeniable win for Dak. Like he got the length, he got the money, he got the guarantees, he got the no trade. And I was thinking about it, like Dak broke his freaking ankle and he won. If you're a quarterback like Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen, who are next up, why would you not play to the tag? Like, I know why you wouldn't, but like, why the hell would you settle? If you're anywhere near the top 10 in the NFL, the only two quarterbacks other than Drew Brees who have played on back-to-back franchise tags are now Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins, both of whom crushed the market. I don't like, maybe this should happen more often for quarterbacks. I think it probably has a chance to happen further if there are other non-first-round quarterbacks because if you're a first-round quarterback, the team basically has you under contract control for seven years to begin your career. Five years on your rookie deal, four plus the fifth-year option, the first tag, and then the second tag. Even though a second tag can be unpalatable, uh, given the cap hit it would incur, you can, like, if you absolutely 100% need to do it, you can. So I know seven years versus six years because it, the, the Cowboys essentially, they, this was year six with Dak, and yep. there was at least yeah. a scenario where they could have played, could have had him play under the tag. So I think the one fewer year certainly is a na- dynamic to be mindful of. And I will say this, Mina, is that I don't know that this has been discussed enough about Dak is that it takes a certain level of mental resilience and toughness and fortitude to do what Dak Prescott did. He stared down the barrel of not a gun, but $100 million two off seasons ago. And then again, a year later, probably even more than that, let's call it $120 million. And now he's doing it at 160, potentially $164, $166 million dollars. But, you know, I I always feel like I've had this conversation a ton of times with agents is that at their sometimes they may tell their their clients, you keep stringing this out and the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow is even larger than you can imagine right now. But if you want to, and I'm using air quotes here, settle, what you are walking into if you were Dak Prescott two years ago is $100 million, generational wealth, your family is set. Your father will never have to work a day again in his life. You're, you, know, you have a great relationship with your brother. He'll never have to work again a day in his life. So I'm always mindful of the human side to these negotiations as well. Dak, though, yeah. Dak was like, I'm a businessman, and I'm not afraid. I am not afraid. He was unwilling to blink. And I so commend him for that because the pot of gold that I just referenced was the second largest quarterback contract ever in terms of average annual value. And I would make the case, or at least a strong argument, it's the single best deal ever signed by a player in NFL history. That's how strong it is. Well, yeah, because he can hit the market again at 31 and then again, and maybe again. Like the length is so, like that's the biggest thing here. And to go back to kind of the badassery of it, Dak Prescott made less than $2 million his first three seasons in the NFL because he was a fourth round draft pick. Like, it's not like he was, I mean, he had endorsement money for sure, but it's not like he was a first round draft pick who was sitting on, you know, a a sizable chunk of change for NFL standards. Um, 
like the, I just the cojones that it takes. It reminds me a little bit, you know, my first feature at ESPN the magazine was on Darrell Revis, and I went into that asking the question, "How the heck is this guy doing what he's doing with the holdouts?" And I came out of it convinced that it was all his mindset. Like Darrell Revis truly did not care that he was being slandered in the tabloids and was the subject of like hard knocks and, you know, on ESPN every, he just didn't care. And I do think you're, it's a really smart point by you that like you have to have not only a faith in your ability, but like a certain psychology, like a makeup to be willing to take that kind of risk. And it truly paid off for him. And it's very cool. And we'll spend a lot of time talking about Dallas and that team, um, which at the moment, you know, is definitely the favorite to win the division and what else they need to do. But I want to wrap by asking you one more question before we get to the bad teams, which is, as we've discussed, this was a four-year deal with two voidable years, which um, meant that Dallas was able to prorate the uh, the bonuses so that this year the cap hit is only $22 million. Yeah. Um, so, and something else that kind of surprised me today, we were on air at Fran NFL Live talking about the Bucks tagging Chris Godwin. And the question was, can they fit Levante David and Shaq Barrett? And I was like, I don't know. And then the Bear, the David contract came in and it was two years, 25 million. And I was like, I still don't know. Then we saw that there were three voidable years on top of that. And it's actually a $3.5 million hit. Now I ask you this not to talk about the Bucks, but the voidable year thing, like, is that going to be a trend with these contracts? So because of the cap not going up, like, do you think we're going to see more creative accounting to fit some of these deals? A hundred percent. I think so, Mina. And I think we actually kind of have to talk about the bucks because they're so illustrative of how this would be the case. Um, so sort of football cap nerdiness for a second here. Let's the go. Have, and this is a system. I think it actually dates back to when Mark Dominic was their general manager adopted. They, they try to operate a flat cap. So if a player signs, and I'll use round numbers here, a five-year deal for $50 million, their sort of ideal world is where his cap number per year tends to be whatever his salary is for that year. So in a lot of cases, a five-year $50 million deal might be $10 million per year over those five years. Um, other teams, the structure tends to be that the cap hit is lowest in the first year, and then it builds upwards, which is due to signing bonus proration. Uh, and the the idea behind that is, hey, the salary cap is going up in future years. It's easier to absorb a $12 million salary cap hit if the cap is $220 million versus $205 million. So the Bucks have been as dedicated and principled to this flat cap structure as really any team in the NFL. The fact that they are prorating deals this offseason suggests to me that a lot of teams are going to be doing this. I wouldn't be surprised, Nina, if we hear of players that sign one-year deals, let's say it's a deal that maybe is around 8 or 10 or $12 million that ends up being prorated over five years. Teams are going to say to themselves, it, it may cause headaches later, but 2021 is such a unique year with the cap going down mm -hmm. to likely 180, 183 million bucks that we'll worry about later, later. Mm. Mm. Famous last words, but it, may, it makes a ton of sense. I think, I mean, gosh, it makes it all more confusing, by the way, that the Saints tagged Marcus Williams. I'm still kind of perplexed about that one, but um, <laughs> the Saints exist in a different uh, universe in terms of money. I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. I, I don't get it. I don't know how it's going to all work out. Um, okay. The, the Falcons staying in the division. Falcons finished last. Um, but of course, most underlying metrics show that they're better than their record. They've got 
very little cap space, negative right now. Um, They are, you know, pretty much like this roster is what it is. Uh, They have some free agents. They announced that they're not tagging Keanu Neal, which I was actually kind of surprised by. Um, Alex Max, free agent. Darkies Denard, I hope I said his name right, is a free agent. Uh, Gurley. The real question with this team, and the one that I very much so want to hear your answer on, is you're picking at four. You've got Matt Ryan. His cap hit is approximately $10 bazillion. Do you take a quarterback? I do, Mina. And there are a couple of reasons why. Let's is, go. So, first of all, you and I, I feel like you and I at ESPN are probably the most frequent users of opportunity cost, the phrase. And the idea. In this case, being that if the Falcons don't take a quarterback at fourth overall when they are in prime position to land a quarterback, that I think they're going to improve enough because of the fact that, as you indicated, they're better than their record would suggest. That if you're picking at nine or 12 or 15, you could find yourself reasonably, if you're the Falcons, in the spot that the Washington football team is in, the Bears is in, the Patriots are in right now, where at the time of this conversation, you need a quarterback, but there isn't an obvious option for you, be a free agency, the draft, uh, or even a trade. So I think Atlanta is maybe like a sneaky rebuild candidate too, but doing so a little bit more tactically than like just by tearing things down and being really bad. Um, you mentioned the cap space issues they have this year. They don't have a single player right now under contract for 2024, which is, that's that's not, that's three years out from right now, but it's reflective that a lot of the moves the team made late in the Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn administration was, we're, we're trying to do things to help us get better in a hurry right now and win. Dante Fowler type signings, Julio Jones extensions, right? Like you got to keep Julio happy to keep this thing rolling. So um, I think they need to take a quarterback because although Matt Ryan has his moment, you know, obviously his age is just an obvious candidate for, for potentially moving on. And if you don't take one at pick four, if you make progress and you're picking 10th or 12th next year and then potentially closer to 15, you're going to find yourself in no man's land really quickly. So um, I understand that it depends on how the board shakes out ahead of them. Like if they have those mm. four quarterbacks ranked and they have a clear top three and then a fourth that's like quite a bit lower. They might not view as the right value play, but if there's a quarterback that they have a strong preference for that's available to pick four, I'm submitting the card. I'm not thinking twice and I'm figuring out Matt Ryan a year from now. Yeah. Especially because as we've discussed, like the draft next year for quarterbacks is just significantly worse. Um, So not only will they be picking later, but it's a worse draft and it just like, feels like this is their shot. And I love the idea of Arthur Smith with uh, Justin Fields or Trey Lance, who are like the two guys who I think probably they'd be choosing from. It's starting to look like at at, at that spot. Um, Yeah, I I think this team is going to get some natural bounce because of the coaching. I really like Arthur Smith. Dean Pease is defensive coordinator. Like this team, the defense is going to be better, even though they've drastically underperformed in recent years. But I'd say that the trickiest thing about looking kind of holistically at like, okay, so even if you take, let's say you're going to take that quarterback at four. So this off season, what do you do to address the secondary, you know, the Neil's gone potentially. Um, well, he has gone unless they resign him. Uh, and then maybe some depth on the lines, edge rusher. Well, unfortunately 
I would say because you're taking a quarterback at four, you can't do the obvious thing, which would be to restructure Matt Ryan. You know what I mean? To clear out some gap space. So you're kind of in a weird, tricky situation. It doesn't mean I still would do it, but I think this is a team that outside of taking that quarterback, like you're not going to see flashy signings here. They're just going to pray that Terrell and some of the rookies continue to get better and that they find bargains in the draft this year because they just don't have any other, there's no other paths. I see like, they're not going to, I don't see them competing for any of the free agent edge rushers or receivers. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I totally agree. And, you know, we have a long list of things that Falcons probably need to do, but reality also suggests that like crossing off a quarter or half of those would be a reasonable off season. And this year, we saw more GM turnover than we've seen in a long, long time across the NFL. And that means patience is going to be exhibited more this offseason because, like, what's the repercussions for Terry Fontenot, if the team, their new GM, if they go 7-9 next year? Like, Arthur Blank isn't going to say, come on, Terry, like, what happened here, right? That, that would be, what, a three or four win improvement? That would be fine, right? Like, that would be, all right, we're charting our course. So... And if you take a, a quarterback in the first round, then, you know, absent a Jordan Love situation, you're expecting that player to be starting for you probably by year two. And you, you can just sort of point towards that. Like rather than going and paying top dollar for whatever available edge rushers there are, making a strong play for someone like Carl Lawson, who I like as a player, by the way, but, you know, your cap situation is such yeah. that would be tricky. It's like, hey, we're going to we're going to spend this year working like crazy to develop some of the recent investments we made AJ Terrell, their first round pick last year, players of that caliber. And then we're going to clean the books up a little bit here because although Terry Fontenot did come from new Orleans, there's no guarantee that he wants to operate this team similarly to how new Orleans does, which is just rob Peter to pay Paul and worry about future years in a much different time. I think there's reason to believe he'll try to sort the books out this year, which could be more of an accounting year for Atlanta than a talent collection year in free agency. So let's go to a talent collection team. <laughs> the New York Jets. Uh, $68 million, it looks like, in caps, a ton of cap space. Uh, they franchise tag. That might be less now that they've tagged Marcus May, their safety. Uh, picking second, 23rd, 34. The world is their oyster right now. Um, all starts from the quarterback position. The question mark, are you, are you sticking with Darnold and trading down? Or are you drafting a quarterback? I'll go first. I think you, the best move for them is to trade Darnold. I probably can't. Yeah, I, I don't know what the market is. You can tell me for him. Spend that number two pick on a quarterback. And then you've got picks and money to flesh out the rest of the roster. How do you feel? Yeah, again, we're on the same page here. And I don't want to make it simply oh, like smart. a yes, Mina, no Mina podcast, but um, I couldn't agree more. I think it's important to reset the timing here on your franchise. Um, you want to reset the mm-hmm. clock, I should say, with the quarterback. And uh, I, you and I have had this conversation offline, but in a world in which Sam Darnold does not play well this year, if you have already picked up the fifth-year option, which many people know this already, but just a reminder – the 2018 draft class is the first year in which that fifth year option is fully guaranteed. So if you're going to commit to let's say 18 or $19 million for Sam Darnold in 2022, and then he doesn't make dramatic improvements, well, you can't afford an 18 or $19 million backup. And he's going to have no market in the trade or no trade market. If he's 
making that kind of money after a fourth straight average or below average season. So I think it's a little bit of a rock and a hard place uh, for the Jets if they decide to commit Sam. So I'd be much more inclined to get whatever I can for Sam Darnold. And I think there is a value, whether it's a third round pick, maybe a second round pick. I think we'll see more conditional picks this year where it's, Hey, a third round pick that becomes a second round pick with, you know, sort of like the Carson Wentz trade. Um, I think that become more popular in the NFL in general. Um, and then I would just take a quarterback, whichever one you believe is the best, because you know, who's going to be available. And uh, we could certainly have a whole podcast dedicated to Zach Wilson versus Justin Fields versus Trey Lance, <laughs> but I'm in on that. And, you know, the Jets, you got your pick, you got your pick and the Jets have the resources between free agency and their draft capital that any player, literally any player that becomes available this off season, the Jets have the ability to make an effort for that player. It's not going to, they can't, they're not guaranteed to land those players, but from, even though they're not on, you know, like the Sean Watson, like whether he wants to go there or not, like they can make the best offer. It's a fact. There's no two ways about it. Um, Any free agent, even a franchise tag player, they can make an offer on because they actually do have multiple first round picks that, you know, they have tied, you know, they have via the Jamal Adams trade. So, the Jets are well positioned to get better if they want to. The question is just how, how um, I think it'll be interesting to see, does Joe Douglas go about this aggressively or is he a little bit more methodical this offseason and kind of continue to build the foundation first? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because we've seen like Chris Ballard every season has had a ton of money and has been very careful and slow deploying that money. Maybe, in, you know, some people think, he could have spent it in a different way, perhaps. Most people seem pretty impressed by with how he's managed things. Um, but like Joe Douglas is literally, he is in the catbird seat right now. He's got the picks and the money. What he doesn't have is a good roster. And I think that's why, uh, it, it, to me, that's an added reason why they should move on from Darnold. Because there's this case for Darnold that like, well, you know, he's been surrounded in a terrible situation. Couldn't agree more. He's shown flashes, totally. And, you know, like he can make like Tannehill and get better. But I don't think he's going to do it next year. Because when I look at this Jets team, I could see him getting somewhat better. But I don't see him getting like, okay, we made the right decision. Or we've bolstered his trade value better. Um, Just because when you look at this team field, like there's so many question marks. Uh, Like, God, where to begin? The skill, literally every position on the team. I, I... where where don't they need to bolster their roster? You know, other than like Marcus May and uh, Makai Becton and like you know Mims showed Denzelman showed flashes, yeah. Quinn and Williams on the other side of the football, but like every position. So I think it's really like they're in a really good position because they've got all these needs. They've got money, which very few teams in the NFL don't have, and. When you look at the list of free agents, uh, the wide receivers and edge rushers, there's a lot of really nice options. So let me ask you this. You're Joe Douglas. Where would you like to spend that money? If you, like, just who are, are there free agents that you think would be great on this team or are there positions that you feel like they could prioritize as they begin this rebuild? Yeah, I think it's like borderline negligence to not add some wide receivers and tight ends to the mix here. They got nothing from the tight end position last year, which they got nothing from tight end the year before that as well. So if I'm the Jets, I am looking at the very, very attractive 
tight end and wide receiver group this offseason. I love John U. Smith as a player. Basically, any team that has money, I am in on the opportunity to pay John U. Smith. The wide receiver market, I'm interested in as well. Now, this is going to sound a little bit oxymoronic because while they do have the money to spend, I don't think that having the money to spend is licensed to spend it irresponsibly. And we see that frequently in free agency. So if, for example, the money for the number one free agent wide receiver, whoever that winds up being, whether it's Kenny Galladay or Juju Smith-Schuster, or I would think it's probably one of those two, and I'm probably forgetting one more name off the top of my head that could be in the mix for that as well. But if the number gets to like $20 million per year, you've got to ask yourself whether that's the kind of business that you want to be in and whether it may help you for right now, but two years from now, it may turn out to be an eyesore. And the Jets, under a different regime, spent big in free agency a few years ago, and it came back to bite him in the you-know-what very quickly. So um, yeah, I'm looking more towards, like again, I think tight end has to be addressed. And I think there might be some value this year at the wide receiver position in free agency. Like I know that none of these guys are stars, uh, or maybe not necessarily viewed as the star-level players that others are. But I think there's value in like a Nelson Aguilar and a Corey Davis, a Marvin Jones, a Curtis Samuel. And I'm not saying those guys are all guaranteed to be worth whatever money is invested in them. But I do think that they might come at a depressed price point versus a Kenny Galladay or a Juju Smith-Schuster that there's just less risk built into it. I think also like with your – by the way, I love the idea of Jonu Smith and a Michael LaFleur, you know, Shanahan totally. offense. It's like really nice, a really nice fit. And I like the idea of – Jonu Smith with a rookie quarterback, because if they decide to make that move, I think your focus, I understand what, you know, there's needs at Ed Rusher and corner and safety in every position, but I think you really need to focus on, okay, how can we develop our young quarterback? How can we build this offensive line? Which players can we uh, put in place so that he has a position not, you know, we don't need to be great his first year. We just don't want to stunt his development. And that applies also to, you know, picks potentially 23 and 34, uh, depending on how the draft shakes out. This is a really nice tackle class. The Jets need a right tackle. Um, they got their left tackle, you know, uh, they, they, there's a lot of holes and I think they need to be strategic, but it's all about, as you said, timeline. And if they go quarterback, that's your timeline. Your timeline is developing your young quarterback and doing everything you can to not F it up. Yeah, and I agree on that. And I feel like I've actually at different points this offseason wanted to sort of say, like if I were a Jets fan, my wish list would be Kenny Galladay and who, I mean, heck, Ken, you could pick two of those wide receivers, Kenny Galladay and Juju Smith-Schuster. But as I take a step back and examine the roster further, I like the idea of a quarterback at pick two. Like if that means that I'm a bit more patient than fans might want, like the model is what you referenced with Chris Ballard and in Indy is that like, it's not like if you don't use cap space, it evaporates. It means you're rolled over. And maybe a year from now, you've got an awesome young quarterback who balled out as a rookie and you're like, screw it. Now we're going to go big. Now we're going to go out and we're going to go pluck that number one wide receiver in free agency. Or if somebody becomes available, we're going to make those big moves. Um, patience is not something that fans like, but sometimes in the long run, it can prove to be the best thing for a franchise. So moving just across the Northeast, 
to Philadelphia. Um, a team that would seem to have answered the quarterback question for 2021, but that's where I want to start. So Jeffrey Larry, the owner, comes out and, well, Chris Mortensen, our Chris Mortensen reports that he has told the team, we are rebuilding around Jalen Hurts. We have pick number six. Let me start start first by asking you, do we believe this? Like, do we feel that this is not smoke and that the Eagles actually want a quarterback at number six and they would very much like for teams to think they do not want a quarterback at number six? Or do we think, okay, actually this team, which has negative $50 million in cash space, is going to start Jalen Hurts this year? I actually, I buy it. I believe in it. I do believe that the intention is to build around Jalen uh, Hurts absent some sort of bizarre... I don't even know, like, I don't know, Zach Wilson fell to pick six, like absent something you just totally don't expect to happen in the draft. Right. Um, I'm, I'm buying it. And I think there are a lot of reasons behind it. I think in, in its simplest form, and you and I discussed this on NFL live Monday was like, maybe they just likes the player enough based off what they saw last year. He started four games from them. He energized them. Uh, he, he provided them their best win of the season against the Saints. A good defensive effort too, but, Jalen Hurts kind of has this it factor that is undeniable and that Eagles fans saw at the end of last season. Beyond that, and I think this is a conversation that's been used uh, a few different places around the NFL this year, is that there's real value, I believe, Mina, in even if it's not doing so publicly, uh, doing those, doing so privately, which I suppose this kind of would be, even though it came out, but like, you know, it's not like the Eagles were the ones issuing some sort of statement, but Jalen Hurts now knows, like, They've got my back. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that I keep the job no matter what. We just saw their own quarterback, Carson Wentz, play his way out of a starting job. But there's something to be said for like installing some confidence in him um, and feeling as though, you know, giving him the belief like this is your team. Now, let's see how you respond to it. But a reminder, this is your team. It's up to you to make it all happen. So let's talk about whether you can make it all happen. Because on one hand, like, so in doing this exercise, I'm looking at these rosters and I'm like, wow, the Eagles have a lot of holes too. They all these teams have a lot of holes, really. Um, and as I mentioned, they don't have a lot of money. However, um, Jalen Hurts was in such a god awful position last year. In some ways, like it can't be worse. At least he gets a competent offensive line. For starters, some of those guys, you know, the uh, Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson, Andre Dillard, uh, Isaac Sumla come back. So he's got that going for him. Um, another year with Jalen Rager. And one would think that might be a position, like a wide receiver, a skill player, whatever, might be a position they target in the draft. Because, again, this is a team that I don't anticipate being very active in free agency despite the fact that field field like they the real issue i mean geez louise the secondary linebacker uh that's the biggest problem on this team yeah and if they but if they don't take a wide receiver early or tight end Kyle Pitts um i honestly mean a, like <sighs> i don't know we i'm not sure we have this influence at ESPN but we might have to petition for like a a fan cam that isolates on like, oh my God. I don't know, the 50 most passionate Eagles fans and then a 51st camera for Gritty to see what happens if they <laughs> don't take a wide receiver or Kyle Pitts with the six pick. Because, uh, um, you know, the Eagles has, are has, Is Micah Parsons getting mocked to them at all? Sorry to interrupt you, but I just thought of that. Yeah, I, I listen, I, I love the player. I really do. I love Micah Parsons. And I think he actually merits the sixth overall pick. I just sort of fear like... 
I just, because of how negligent they, uh, some of the efforts have proven to be at wide receiver in recent years, like Alshon Jeffrey was good for a year and then things spiraled quickly. Deshaun Jackson was a failed reunion this past year. And I actually believe Jalen Rager is going to be a pretty good player, but they're going to forever have to live with the fact that he was taken just before Justin Jefferson. Like, I think the Eagles kind of have to go wide receiver. Again, I, I keep saying slash Kyle Pitts, so I, I'll stop saying it. You, you now know what I'm saying when I say the Eagles have to go wide receiver. Does it hurt that their new pass head catcher. coach? <laughs> yes, pass catcher. Their new head coach, Nick Sirianni, his, he cut his teeth. Uh, you know, his, his position of expertise has long been wide receiver, so I'm sure um, you know, he would never, ever uh, bypass the opportunity, uh, if he has the chance, to take a really great player. And, you know, you and I are not Todd McShay or Mel Kuyper Jr., but we do love the draft and spend a lot of time watching some of these top prospects, Mina, and it's a great wide receiver draft, uh, I believe. But, like, Jamar Chase is just a totally different freak, man. He is absurd. Like, you know, I hate to sort of – I hate to make player comparisons in general, but I also hate to cap them, like, on – absolute superstars, but I think of like the caliber of player you might be getting in Jamar Chase. And there are times where I think to myself, like this guy has the chance to have expectations that are similar to um, Julio Jones or AJ Green when they came out or players that have been drafted in the top five since then at wide receiver that like were there because we believed them good enough to be one of the five best prospects and delivered, right? This is not, I just, I really, really, really love Jamar Chase. No, I, I'm, I'm laughing because my friend Nate Tice has a bit where he's doing like realistic comps to make people angry. Like, um, cause we always do comps to really great players. And he's like, how about like Jeremy Macklin for this? You know, like yeah. trying to think of the, <laughs> but, but, but the thing about Jamar Chase and comps is like his comps are all over the board. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I think what you, you start to see with the draft process, certain players, like you're going to hear Kyle Pitts, Darren Waller, Travis Kelsey, like a thousand times. Right. Um, Jamar Chase, I've seen compared to everyone from Dez to Devonte Adams to Big Steve Smith. Like, and I think that speaks to how all around he is. Like, he is not—he's not the the biggest guy, and he's not the fastest guy. But he just gets open, and he just comes down with the football. And I know that sounds really uh, like an expert, I guess. But when you watch him, he's just so so complete and so i think it, it it's a good it's like you can't miss you know like i i get it parsons great and the defense is a real issue but i think you're gonna have to hope that you can get some bargains that you can get maybe an improved year and a cheap year out of like nickel roby coleman um some some just like the defense is gonna have issues in the back no matter what um and i don't think like I, 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 there's again. This is a team that's really capped out, so it's just going to be really challenging for them to com- to get better. And I think they need to focus on not necessarily trying to win this season, but like how can we replenish this roster while also evaluating Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I totally agree. Like if Jalen Hurts becomes like if they have a clear snapshot of what he is, to me that is in some ways a marker or an indicator yes. of success for them this year. And. One quick aside, Mina, I like that you use the word inexpert about like getting open and like making, you know, like catching the ball. You know, people who listen to may, may also know, like I sort of, I cut my teeth with the Patriots. That was where like my young football days were spent. And when we would evaluate wide receivers, like we'd always start with two fundamental questions. Can you get open and can you catch the football? And it was like, if either one of those of you was, if either one of those things was an issue for you, you might as well like sign up, like, 
don't even bother bringing the player to the table. And there are obviously so many different ways that you can get open and, you know, catching the football, like not everybody makes Randy Moss type catches, but you also have guys that just like they're reliable. Like they're going to bring everything to the table that's within the, you know, the catch radius. Um, So I always like, sometimes we make football really complicated because it can be, but also as we saw, like in the Super Bowl, we were reminded, like it's still a block and tackle game and a wide receiver's job still is to be able to get open and catch the football. And, Jamar Chase does it. I think Dez was my favorite comparison that you dropped there out of all those. That's my favorite one because he's kind of a bully as a wide receiver, which I love. Yeah. And I don't care what you throw at him. He's going to find a way to get open. Touchdown machine. Okay, let's take a quick break and come back and talk about a few more bad teams. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. So, Phil, the next team I want to talk about is actually, I think, really different um, because this team is not capped out in the same way, and they also don't have a crappy roster. And yet, another question mark at Corderac. I'm talking about the Denver Broncos. Um the Broncos offense just needs a quarterback. <laughs> like it's, I, I think that they were in the Matt Stafford sweepstakes, right? Like, I don't know how serious they got or how much they contributed, but man, what a bummer. Cause Matt Stafford would be really good at this offense. He would have been so fun. He would have been so fun, Mina, because I'm trying to think of like the appropriate analogy and it hasn't come to me yet. So I'm going to like continue to workshop this in my brain as I, to this answer but like i remember last year one of my favorite twitter exercises is like once the draft is completed a look at like how a team's skill players stacks up and just like here's their depth chart at running back wide receiver tight end and like you look at the broncos and it was like this absolutely like gorgeous painting of like upside right it's like (laughs) tight ends that run four five or four six wide receivers that uh you know can do a lot of different things whether with speed with kj hamler Jerry Judy, who's a route running machine and Cortland Sutton pre ACL injuries, just a baller and, you know, a running back group that I thought was, you know, pretty useful last year. It was like Drew Locke. And it was like, this is the greatest question mark, right? It's like, um, you don't know if you have like, if he's like, I don't know, like a casting issue in a movie. It's like the plot's great. And like, you know, the, all the, the aesthetics and the visuals are great. It's just like the main character wasn't quite the right person for that role. And that's kind of how I feel sometimes with Drew Locke. Now I do think the, counterpoint is that you know I was just talking earlier about how sometimes we just like give up on on quarterbacks too soon in their career and there might be something to be said for like riding it out with a guy if you believe in him it's been richly rewarded rewarded in a place like Buffalo um and I'm not saying that Drew Locke's going to become Josh Allen but um you know maybe that's sort of the model that Denver wants to follow but if it doesn't happen this year Mina then this this group of great pass catchers is going to once again feel like uh, statistically an, an underachieving unit. Gorgeous painting of upside is such a great fantasy name. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, I just I, mm, I I okay. So they're picking nine outside the quarterback group. They'd probably have to trade up to get into the big four, yeah. the way things are headed. 
do you consider it? Because again, with the free agents, like, okay, so there's, you know, unless assuming you're out of like that Watson's not an option. I don't know if, I guess you could trade for, it sounds like the Raiders aren't moving on from Carr. Jimmy, I don't really know if he's like that much of an upgrade for them. I mean, I think he's better than Drew Locke, but I'm just saying like, I don't know. Like that's not a plan. Mariota, like what What do you do? I, 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 I'm not sure. Like, would you consider more like just going all in and trading a haul to move up in the draft if you're yeah, probably I I, I think I would Mina, um, because it's not my decision to make, but I don't think that George Payton would because he is a first year GM in Denver, who I think may have gotten a six year contract I think, um, and is oh Jameis I left out Jameis too Jameis yes but, but they've James. got yes. yeah okay. but they've got like. George Payton doesn't like, he doesn't have to, it's the same line of thinking I was mentioning with Terry Fontenot earlier is that like George Payton's quarterback, uh, like we're not going to reflect on his ability to find a quarterback based off what he does this year. Right. Like he can probably sit down with the coaching staff, Pat Shermer, the offensive coordinator and say like, is there salvageable Drew Locke upside or is this just a failed experiment? And my guess is that the Broncos would say, no, there's, there's upside here. We just got to get more consistent play out of him. Coaches are sort of wired that way too, right? Like they always believe they can fix the player that's in front of them. That's part of the reason why they're good at their jobs. So I don't think that the Broncos strike me as a real threat to move up in the draft only because I think there are so many teams San Francisco, New England, Washington, that I think are going to at least lurk. Like, I think the chance that, like, there's a gargantuan trade-up, like, I'm not saying it's going to be the RG3 trade, if you, whatever it was, six, seven, uh, maybe even longer than that, nine years ago. Um, nine. It's, that's scary. But I think that any team that's willing to trade down is going to do so and get an absolutely massive haul that maybe Denver will be better suited to wait a year to pay. So if they don't, I would say I could see them, and you've done more mocks than me, using that ninth pick on a cornerback, just looking at some of the holes on this roster. Uh, Patrick Sertan or Caleb Farley feels like that kind of territory. Um, I was surprised, actually, feel when I looked at the depth chart, kind of how many holes there were in the secondary. Obviously, they tagged Justin Simmons. Or did they get a deal done? Or is there, they, they're they probably tagged Justin Simmons. Them, right? yeah, yeah, I think they will get a deal done with Justin Simmons, but they have, for now, they've, they've tagged him. So until something is officially done, that, that, that possibility exists. So set cornerback, um, and then I mentioned they do have some money. I could see them signing veteran depth uh, along the defensive line. How about you? Where would you spend that pick slash money? Yeah, the cornerback spot, I mean, I know this because um, I spent some time, I mean, we all, we're all tracking it, but I remember late in the season, the Broncos were calling around to everybody about, they were looking around for any cornerback they could get off of a player's practice, off of a team's practice squad. They ended up signing a couple, I believe they landed Nate Hairston from Baltimore. And then I want to say they ended up signing a cornerback off of the 49ers practice squad as well late in the year because of all the attrition they'd had, AJ Boye got suspended. He was probably going to end up, you know, I think he would have been a cap casualty either way uh, this off season, but the suspension only sort of cemented that um, maybe a lack of depth was already apparent going into 2020 um, that cornerback feels like such a glaring need. And I have a couple teams that I'm not sure the board totally aligns with based off where they're picking. 
Denver is actually one of those mm-hmm. teams that I think the board really does align with that if all things are equal, Patrick Sertan the second or Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech probably slots as like one of the eight to 13 or 14 best players in this draft. But taking both of them, by the way, fit in that mold, that taking them ninth overall is like exactly where I think they quote unquote deserve to go. So cornerback to me would be a huge, huge area of upgrade for the Broncos this offseason. And then quietly and quickly, pass rush has become something they need to address, right? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, a few years ago, they, this was a team that, and it looks even scarier now, but at the time it was really scary, right? I mean, you had Von Miller, you had Shaq Barrett, the Marcus Ware, you eventually drafted Bradley Chubb. Well, Vaughn's no certainty to be back next year. Bradley Chubb is awesome. You don't have to worry about him, but you know, we all know Shaq Barrett's about to get paid by somebody, whether it's the Bucks or elsewhere, that pass rush could be a sneaky need for Denver this offseason as well. Yeah, I could see them as a team that goes after one of the kind of the mid to lower tier pass rushers, your Hassan Reddicks, you know, that um, I think Lawson's actually above that. So I'd put him in. Yeah, I was going to say, wonder what whatever. God, I don't know. But yeah, I think there, there's a lot of good options, honestly, on the market. Carlos Dunlap, who was just released by Seattle, is another guy who I think could really help out He's good. the team. Kind of a bummer. He is good. Yeah. That bummed me out. Yeah. Um, Okay, another team that needs cornerbacks. Another team that I was like, dang, when I looked at their secondary. Do you know what I'm talking about? Detroit? I'm assuming Detroit. Uh, Actually, San Francisco, but Detroit too. Yeah, I guess. A lot of these teams need cornerbacks and quarterbacks are really the theme that emerged for me. Yeah. Um, Field, I had no idea that the entire San Francisco secondary was gone. Basically, outside of uh, Jimmy Ward. That's right. I mean, uh, Mosley's a restricted free agent, right? I believe so. But Tart, Chikisky Tart, Kwan Williams, Richard Sherman, all and Jason Verrett, all of them are unrestricted free agents. Yep. Like, I, wow. Yeah. That happened quickly. It really did. And I would say, I would think that Richard Sherman's gone. He's been very transparent about that. And, um, I'd keep an eye on the Jets for any of these players, by the way, Robert Sala. And we talked about, you know, the Jets having money. I think they're a natural fit for any of these players from the 49ers. And, you know, with San Francisco, they have to be mindful of a few things that are coming around the corner here, Mina, is that, you know, you've got some of your most important pieces tied up. Um, Specifically, you signed George Kittle to a lucrative extension this offseason, this past season, I should say, right before the season, which takes care of, I think, Mm -hmm. probably your your, your most talented offensive player, maybe the most talented player on your roster, but you've got Fred Warner due for a rich payday at some point very soon. Nick Bosa is eligible to be extended very soon. So I think the 49ers are sort of towing this unique line where they got a lot of really good players who deserve a lot of money but they quickly have a decent amount of needs and free agents. Um, I will say this though, and this is sort of a generality and it's a little bit less specific about players is that um, I know the 49ers have had a couple of recent first round picks that probably, you know, they, they've had a couple of things that in retrospect haven't worked out. The D four trade was no good. And they've had a couple of first round picks. Solomon Thomas has not necessarily emerged as the kind of player you had hoped for. I really, really believe in this front office and this coaching staff in being like in unique harmony. And the coaching staff got a ton out of the players that they had available this year. 
So I feel like it would be a little bit like it would be like it wouldn't be particularly genuine if I said like, holy crap, like they got all these needs they got to fill. They're going to end up playing with like, you know, AAF cast offs while also noting that like while playing with a third of their normal roster this past year, they competed like crazy. Like I was super impressed by San Francisco, even in a season when they went, what, six and ten, seven and nine. No, I mean, it, honestly, that's a huge part of the reason why I thought Robert Sala, like, holy smokes, that was his best season yeah. with San Francisco. And that's why I'm kind of concerned because he's gone, Field. Yeah. Um, that's very fair. I, you know, uh, keep, keeping Mike McDaniel um, and obviously it's Kyle Shanahan, who Darryl Hossie pointed out every year his quarterback has not been hurt. He's gone to the Super Bowl is actually like a great fun fact. Um yeah, I, it's um you know there there's like a there's a floor always with this team I think um I, I imagine like they've got a little bit of money there's some guys they can cut you mentioned Ford I think Jason Verrett whose name I constantly say wrong I, I could see him sticking around I find it hard to believe they can pay Trent Williams given that um he's the best left tackle available and. One would think like an indie or a Bengals even might be it. Well, they'll probably get Panay, but we'll talk about them in a second. Would be waiting for him. But um, yeah, I, I think they just have to be targeted about picking. Like you said, they're going to have to pay a few, like Fred Warren's no brainer, et cetera. But after they do that, a lot of these guys will have to walk. Wrap by asking you this. Do you think Jimmy Garoppolo is their quarterback week one? I'm not certain. And I'm starting to air more and more towards the side of no. And so John Lynch, and we've played the quote, I don't know, 94 times on NFL Live since it took place on a podcast a few weeks ago where he said, like, Jimmy, I don't have any doubt Jimmy will be our guy in week one. And my thought is that, like, there's sort of a forum in which you answer questions with, like, like you kind of have to know the right answer for the right forum. And I thought that, like, you know, if he went up there and, and passed doubt about Jimmy Garoppolo, it would have created, like, so much consternation and, and, and impact that it was better to just say, like, Here's the deal. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to be our guy, right? Um, but Mina just and I always think about quarterback decisions based off ability, finance, and you know the the the, the opportunity cost. I'll use it again. So Jimmy Garoppolo, I think, is a quarterback who, if I had to rank him one through thirty-two in terms of starters in a given year, probably would be somewhere between like in good weeks, like at best 12th or 14th in bad weeks, somewhere like 20 to 22, right? Rarely going to crater, but also rarely going to carry you. Um, He's a $2.8 million dead cap charge. If he is cut or traded this off season, which is another way of saying it's very easy to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo. (laughs) And lastly is just, you know, Kyle Shanahan has a unique confidence and very well-rooted confidence in his own ability to take quarterbacks to great places. So if a Mac Jones uh, in the draft, or I don't really know who else there would be in free agency slash a trade becomes available. I wouldn't be surprised if San Francisco says, you know what? We believe in this player enough to make the investment and we would see value in getting the cap space and whatever, let's, let's say it's a draft pick that you'd acquire for Jimmy Garoppolo that we could use that to replenish our roster. Yeah, I agree. I actually, I've really come around on the idea of Mac Jones there. I don't know if I've been listening to Dan Orlovsky too much. <laughs> um, and even though Matt Jones has never, never booted out in his life, maybe like four times uh, over the course of his Alabama career, I actually think he makes 
otherwise, he does make a lot of sense in that Kyle Shanahan offense. Maybe because his like upside comp is Matt Ryan, but I just you know Kyle prioritizes accuracy and um, quick decision making, and uh, you know Mac Jones is very willing to throw over the middle of the field. I it just I it makes sense, and then they could do that and. If they were in let go of Jimmy Garoppolo, you free up a little bit of money, maybe get a pick if you get a trade with New England. It, yeah, it makes sense. I, I could see it. Um, it somewhat, the New okay. England thing makes so Thank- much sense, but we'll talk about that at a different time. Yeah. I mean, so, no question mark quarterback in Cincinnati, which is nice for them. It's great. Um, they are picking fifth, and they do have some money. So, this is interesting. Different situation. The locus of need another fantasy team name starts first and foremost with the offensive line. Uh, and the assumption that everyone's making is that they will take Panay Suel, the Oregon left tackle at pick five. Uh, kind of like what you were saying about the Broncos needing a cornerback and cornerback being perfect at nine. It's, it feels like the board's starting to shake out that way for them, which frankly, like Sewell is Sewell or Sewell. Sewell. Yeah. Sewell. Sewell. Okay, so frankly, like, you know, he could go top two in another draft or whatever. It's just they are the quarterbacks are what they are. So if you're Cincinnati, who also uh, fired their offensive line coach and went back to the old offensive line coach, I think, which is a very Cincinnati thing to do. um, Do you do anything else to bolster your offensive line? Or they let Carl Lawson and William Jackson go untagged. Do you focus on re-signing one of them? Like, what moves do you make with the aforementioned money and the other draft picks you've got? Yeah, I'm going to get really specific because I actually think there is a player in mind that fits exactly what Cincinnati needs. Uh, It's Joe Tooney. It's the Patriots, or maybe soon-to-be former Patriots guard Joe Tooney, who has just finished his fifth season in the NFL, never missed a game, never missed a start. As reliable as they make offensive linemen, he uh, is just incredible. He's a technician, but he's versatile. He's, I mean, I just like he started at left guard. That's his, his prime spot. It's where he's been named an all pro. But within the course of the game, offensive tackles have suffered injuries. They said, all right, Joe, you go play offensive tackle. Uh, there was a time where the Patriots were without their center, David Andrews. And Joe Tony was like, I'm just going to go play center. And I'm just going to go, by the way, be dominant playing center. Um, he is from Spring Valley, Ohio, which I don't know if it's like, Super close to Cincinnati. I have to, as, as, as the son of a, of a great mom from Columbus, Ohio, I should know my geography a little better. Um, but <laughs> like you know, he's an Ohio kid. So the only question that I have, which I think you know, not just another sort of log in the fire that might be enticing to him, um, understanding that money drives a lot of free agent decisions. One thing that I do think is worth noting for someone like Joe or any player that previously played for the Patriots is. You know, you're used to winning a ton of games. Like Joe Tooney is used to a certain level of professionalism uh, and winning and accountability that like if there are offers from other teams that might give them a chance to make the playoffs right away or win the Super Bowl right away, even if they're not. Seattle. Seattle. Yeah, right. It's totally. Right. Please. Yeah. I mean, you think Seattle could use some offensive line help right now? If they're willing to come in at, let's say, 14 and a half million and Cincinnati is offering you 16 million. Um, Again, I never begrudge a player for whatever choice he makes, um, but I, I would think that would that that seems like something that might matter to to someone that for five years you know, he started in three Super Bowls, won a couple rings. Like the guy's used to 
you know, the Patriots had like this apocalyptic year this past year and they went seven and nine. Like that's a little bit scary to think that their worst case scenario, quote unquote, is, I mean, I guess it could get worse, but like when so many things went wrong, they went seven and nine. I think Joe, I, I, this is a, a long way of saying that I think the Bengals should tag, should yeah. target Joe Tooney. We'll see whether uh, they're willing to pay up and whether he might be enticed by somewhere that might offer him the chance to win more. So I think otherwise the defense after that, well, I actually like them to get a, uh, a downfield threat for Burrow, maybe in the draft, but defense wise, um, you know, I, I, one thing I kind of had forgotten is just how much bad luck they had last year with Trey Waynes and DJ reader, who was like a signing I liked yeah. and went down very early in the season. Um, so I think that, it's a defense that's probably going to be better just through better injury luck. Um, I had hoped they could keep Jackson and Lawson, both of them are players I think are very good and like quietly very good. Um, Don't get a lot of attention being in Cincinnati, but I imagine it might be a little bit of a challenge to keep both. Um, You know, they have the incredibly underrated Jesse Bates back there, but the secondary Like looking at the money that they have, I imagine like they'd probably go for, you know, maybe like a lower one of those lower tier pass rushers if they can't get Lawson back and then maybe a cornerback. Although cornerback is really very thin in this free agency class. So they might be better off focusing on the front seven. What would you do if you were them on defense? Yeah, front seven. So last year they attacked the interior of the defensive line with DJ Reader, who one of those guys, like yeah. it's hard to find underrated players in the NFL because there's so much coverage of the league, but I really believe it's like a legitimately underrated player. But it sounds like uh, Geno Atkins is at best flimsy to return to the roster. So you were saying earlier how like basically if you name a position for the Jets, it's a need. Same thing with the Bengals on defense. Like if it's a position that, you know, uh, is is designed to slow down the offense, like I'm in on that being a position of need right now for the Bengals. They did have a couple of nice additions uh, through the draft this past year. I thought Logan Wilson in the third round was a really useful player for them out of Wyoming, but they need even more speed at linebacker and just difference makers up front across the board. Like, especially if, if Carl Lawson's gone, I don't care what it is, defensive tackle, defensive end, a guy who's more accustomed to playing with his hand in the dirt, guy who's more accustomed to playing from a two-point stance, anything on defense goes for the Bengals because it's been a long time since we talked about them having a bunch of blue chip players on defense. And that's just such an immense amount of pressure to put on Joe Burrow, who is already facing a lot of pressure because of a poor offensive line. I don't care what the Bengals do on defense. I'm going to be a fan of it if it includes adding any sort of talent. So here's my question about the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Are you trying to win this year? No, yeah, no. no. <laughs> like, I, and and it's a complicated question because this team is bad, but your quarterback's Jared Goff, which was interesting. Um, I don't know if you saw, but Brad Holmes, the new GM, was interviewed on um, Jim Trotter, their, his podcast, yeah. uh, Hustle, and, yep. Huddle, Huddle and Flow. Huddle and Flow, yeah. Steve Weiss, yeah. And they were asked, he was, they asked him about, you know, oh, are you in the quarterback market? He was like, yeah, yeah. Like, like you said it away. We were like, okay, 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 okay. So they're picking seven. Um, he didn't, sorry, not are you in the quarterback market, but are you considering quarterbacks? Sure. Yeah. I don't really, I can't, so we, you and I have been talking about timelines. I can't, I think the Lions know they're bad, but, <laughs> um, 
what what do you do at pick seven? Are you thinking about quarterbacks at all? Or every move, I find this team very confusing. Every single move made. So I'll start with this premise that I posited on the just released first draft podcast, which we taped a little while ago. I would make the case that no team is earlier in its timeline of roster building right now than the Detroit Lions, um, because in, what do you mean? Meaning like they. Ha- we're not even focused on what they need to do to like improve this roster because we haven't even figured out what they need to do to undo some other things, right? Like there are some mistakes they've got to kind of undo before they can even work. So the bandaid hasn't even been ripped. Yeah. And, and some of the moves, like they're going to be hamstrung with the cat buy for a year or two, but like they've got to figure out like which pieces really don't, fit here going forward and the answer is a lot of them so but like before i can start making the case that like the lions really need to attack wide receiver and cornerback and 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 right tackle this offseason probably not i'm just using those examples i'm not saying them literally it's like hold on we gotta like we gotta trim some of the fat here so um because they've got enough talent like they, they do have some useful players on this roster it's not a totally barren cabinet but like how does a, for example, I think like a 31-year-old Jamie Collins fit into a team that's probably going to be, you know, basically one of the, it's going to be one of the worst in football next year. Same thing for Jared Goff is that like, you know, Jared Goff, I was using that tier to describe Jimmy Garoppolo earlier. I kind of think Jared fits into that same tier, but like Jared surrounding with lesser talent, I don't think he's going to be like the rising tide that floats them to seven or eight wins this year. Oh. So that's a long way of saying that every move that the Lions make this up, every single one is, a, is, is about value. And I look at it, I mean, the Jared Goff slash Matthew Stafford trade, like two first round picks, oh, by the way, pushed into future years because the, obviously the Rams didn't have one to trade this yes. year. But like, I'm okay with that. Like, even if the Rams did have a first round pick this year, if the Lions had been like, hey, we were really more focused on 2022 and 2023, I don't think that's a totally ill fated idea. So um, I mm. think that. Interesting. Value. So, like, if you were the Lions and, you know, the seventh pick rolls around, I don't care what, like, what player you have that's on your board still that's still the highest rated. Like, I think I'm just, I'm drafting that player, regardless of what position he plays. The best player available. Yeah, best player available. Yeah, I, I think, I think philosophically that makes a ton of sense. Like the way you're describing this, because this is not, it's not a win now roster, but it's also not a like okay, we just rebuilt roster. Let's surround our young quarterback or whatever. It's a roster where like they're just trying to put together the beginnings of a core, <laughs> and like what's important for Detroit this year in my mind is like. Aaron Glenn, who's their new defensive coordinator, coming in and saying, hey, Jeffrey Okuda, you were awesome in college and you really struggled last year. We're going to build you back up and we're going to like we you know, we're going to make you our guy and we're going to find a way to make you succeed. Oh, hey, TJ Hawkinson, you're our tight end of the future. Like we've got some guys, but we have very few who is going to be on this roster in two years. And at pick seven, if we're not going quarterback here, um, who is the best player available? Is this where Mike Parsons is the best option? Because God knows that position is cursed in Detroit these days. But like, you know, with the draft that they've had, like that sure seems like a young, incredible young player who we can build a defense around. And I think that's how they have to approach 
Like I'm, th- th- this is a team that's already over the cap. This is not a team that's going to be active in free agency. Yeah. This is a team that you know the Galladay's gone, Aquara's gone. They're just trying to find the pieces. They're going to have to do a lot of housekeeping, and um, that's why I, I yeah. continue to believe that you know this is as I was saying, like it's a value-based off-season for Detroit. Like if someone were to approach them about one of their players who is like a palatable mm-hmm. trade opportunity. Like, you know, if you traded, I'm just, I just pulled up and, you know, over the cap, I want to shout them out because uh, Jason who runs the site does an outstanding job with providing such useful information that like, if someone said to them, Hey, we want to trade for, um, you know, Jeff Akuda this off season, like the lions would take on so much dead cap space that like, it's like, don't even bother thinking about it. Right. Whereas, as an example, mm-hmm. someone said, hey, you know, we're interested in Danny Shelton, guy who, you know, two years ago signed a two-year deal worth of eight or up to $10 million, like good big body in the middle of the, of, of the defense. Like, would you consider him for a pick swap late, like a late pick swap? We give you Danny Shelton and your seventh for our fifth. That's the mindset that I'm taking if I'm Brad Holmes this offseason is that like value-based drafting, which is something I talk about all the time in fantasy value-based acquisition in real life for the Lions this year. So I love that we're finishing with this next team, which is Jacksonville, because I think like they're that in that next phase where they're beginning the rebuild, right? Like it's not, they're not clearing it out. This cap has been cleared. These draft picks have been acquired. They are ready to rock. And we all know what they're doing with pick number one. I refuse to acknowledge any idea that they're not taking Trevor Lawrence here. So field, they've got a ton of money. They've got a ton of draft picks. They just franchise tag Cam Robinson, their left tackle. You've got some fun pieces on this offense, by the way, right? Like that that's another like kind of cool thing about Jacksonville between like some of the skill players are are feisty and fun. The defense, again, you've got some players. You got, you know, your pass rushers, and then you've got CJ Henderson. Like, where do you spend that money this offseason? So I'm about to speak out of both sides of my mouth. So I'm going to try to do so carefully um, is that the most important thing you can do and like CC the Bengals, CC other teams that have a young quarterback is whatever you can to surround that quarterback with talent, resources and protection. Right. Because I mean, I'm not saying, you know, Joe Burrow was just, I mean, he was running like a chicken with his head cut off last year. It's not the, re- you know, he got hurt in a fluke play, but he was constantly under duress last year. Um, we've seen quarterbacks undone by consistent pressure. So if I'm Jacksonville, I want the offensive line to become an area of strength in a hurry. The reason why I say I'm going to be speaking out of both sides of my mouth was I was like slightly perplexed and maybe not like not overly inspired by the decision to franchise tag Cam Robinson. Yeah. Um, the franchise tag is often viewed by the player and his agent. And by the way, correctly and fairly um, as the floor for the player and an average annual value for a multi-year contract. So I believe the franchise tag, our new story on ESPN.com has it at $14.507 million. Uh, Recent offensive tackle contracts that are right at $15 million per year include DJ Humphreys for the Cardinals, uh, Donovan Smith for the Buccaneers. And I would think that Cam Robinson, albeit younger, is like a tick below both of those players too. So like if he had hit the open market, I think the deal for Cam Robinson is not something like four years for 60 million bucks. I think it would have been a 
you know, a decent amount lower than that. So, okay. So let me level set and just like, I do want them to address the offensive line, but back to what I said about the jets, like just because you have the money doesn't mean it gives you the license to spend it poorly. And that's in the offensive line. I just want them to do so wisely, responsibly. Hmm. They're a really interesting team. That because... unfair to... No, no. I, I actually thought they would, by the way, be in the potentially in the Trent Williams sweepstakes with um, all the money that they have. Ooh. But um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I thought so. So, I, yeah, I, I this feels a little bit just like being there and be like, OK, we got the young quarterback coming in. We just got to like shore it up and be careful. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I also have some question marks about that. And I think. Like, you know, after they've got a bunch of draft picks early on, and I wouldn't be surprised if they go pretty heavy defense this year, because while they do have these pieces and Henderson looked pretty good before he went down with an injury, this defense was really bad last year. And they got a new defensive coordinator, Joe Cullen, who's new to the NFL, I believe. Um, But like, they really have some question marks at pretty much every level. Um, I mean, outside of Henderson, this is my like one of my favorite challenges to people. Can you? It's funny because like this Jaguars secondary used to be so special. Like most people can't name Jaguars cornerbacks and safeties. Uh, it's a it, it, it's pretty crazy crazy how quickly that cleared out. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they target that in the draft. Uh, there's not a lot of safeties available. So I imagine some of that money will probably go to like interior pass rush, potentially linebacker. Um, I kind of like the idea of this being a tight end spot. And there's a few tight end, uh, free agent tight ends hitting the market between you mentioned John earlier, but also Hunter Henry. Um, so again, like with, with an eye towards, Trevor Lawrence and this offense, like that seems like somewhere where they might spend money. It's it, 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 they got a lot of options. It's like New York. And I think we're going to learn a lot in free agency about like how urban Meyer like views this team and like what kind of team it's going to be very quickly. Also, I think how players view Urban Meyer. Oh, such a good point. Like, yes, our team's actually, and that brings me back to the Robinson thing, by the way, like, do they think, Trent Williams would actually sign in Jacksonville, for example, but keep going. Yeah. Well, I was going to say is, and I think it, well, well, we probably are on the same wavelength here is that like how much juice does urban Meyer have in the court of public opinion amongst players um, because of his college accolades. And you multiply that by the fact that Jacksonville has the resources to spend a lot of money. So they're not going to necessarily going to be, they won't be the team that's like in the mix on a guy, but at the low end, they understand that where they need to be. And then last thing, and I know this sounds a little bit silly because these players are still making millions of dollars, but like Florida's a no state income tax state. That is a difference maker. When you're talking about, you know, 65, $75 million, Nina, over the life of a five-year contract, like you can have a player who sit there splitting the difference between two comparable offers and they may look the same on paper or on Twitter, but you factor taxes there. I know that's a selling point. Like it, ju- it just is. It's something that I know when they had a head coach and uh, briefly a GM opening, I know people talk like that was something that coaches yeah. and GMs brought to me is like, I'm not telling you it's the only thing that matters, but I'm also like, 
you know, I, I got a family to provide for. And I think about that stuff. So um, they're besides quarterback, you know, they, they have more, I think sort of more certainties than what we were talking about with the Jets and the Bengals on defense. But I don't know that they are necessarily a team where we can cross a lot of needs off. Like if there's a talented player, Jacksonville should be in the mix. And I think you were getting at this with what you were saying um, is that Urban Meyer has lost so infrequently in his career. So, I mean, he basically, he has never lost, never lost consistently. Is he in this to ride the early wave? It's going to be tumultuous of like, hey, if we go from one and 15 to five and 11, it's a four win improvement. That's good stuff there. Or is he saying to himself, you know what? Screw five and 11. I want to be eight and eight next year. I guess whatever, eight, nine and eight or eight and nine with a 17th game potentially on the table. Because if you're Urban Meyer and your intent is to make this happen fast, then I expect them to be the most aggressive team in all of free agency. Um, free agency can be fool's gold, but it also, when done tactfully, can accelerate your timeline rapidly. And if Urban doesn't want to lose, that's a good way to get yourself right back mm-hmm. in the mix pretty quickly. So some of those big money pass rushers, and by the way, also with the defense too, like I, are they switching to a three, four? You know, like I, I, I don't know. A lot of questions, a lot of interesting questions in Jacksonville. I, it's been a while since we've been able to say that. So I'm excited. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Speaking of questions, as always, we're going to wrap with Dinks and Dunks, which is presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. Download the DraftKings app today and use code MINA to get in on all of the action. Field, as always, five questions for you, four from me, one from Lenny. I'm going to start... You know what? Actually, all four of my questions are going to be about the draft because it's like you here, your draft expert. We're going to be doing a lot of draft pods, but drafts on the brain right now. Kyle Pitts, we were talking earlier about how much we love him. Where would you like to see him go? Um, I would like to see Kyle Pitts go to you want, you want a specific team or do you want like a specific spot or, or what? Specific team that you would love to see him play for. All right. Um, Sorry, I'm springing this on you. I don't worry. No, 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 no. I just want to give a good months. answer. Trust me. No, I want to give a good answer here because I want it to be something that <laughs> people we love him. hopefully can reflect upon favorably, right? And say, we do love him. Is, all right, so I think that uh, six for Philadelphia is, is an obvious one that we are talking about. Um, but I also, I think, I think there's such a dramatic need for a, for a wide receiver there. So I'll go to eight. Carolina Panthers at pick eight. Yeah. They have tried to succeed. Greg Olson, uh, Ian Thomas, really athletic guy, hasn't quite come together yet. So give me Kyle Pitts at number eight. The only per- only thing I want to note there is that I'm also a believer in Carolina being a strong Deshaun Watson suitor, and you're not yes. getting Deshaun Watson without trading the eighth pick. So if somehow there's a world where both things can be true, that's my dream scenario. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, question number two. What is a team, again, this is just not what you think is going to happen, but what's a team that you would love to see trade up into that top four for quarterback? San Francisco, because I think it increases the likelihood that they get someone like uh, Trey Lance, for example, which I know we we do both acknowledge that we like Mac Jones uh, to San Francisco. Like he might be one of the teams where Mac could really thrive. I mean, Trey is just so silly, crazy, talented that – 
I would love to see him. I, I, lo- I love to see we have seen Kyle Shanahan with a mobile quarterback before. It was the brilliant run with RG3. We haven't seen him with a ton of like otherwise mobile quarterbacks. Jimmy G, Matt Ryan have been some of those most recent signal callers. But imagine some of the stuff that they do when there's an extra element of like read option and, you know, not just move the pocket throws, but move the pocket throws that incre- include the possibility of the quarterback deciding to just take off and run and picking up 25 yards. I love the idea there. Question three, give us a sleeper, a late round, not late round, but not first round skills guy that you like. Okay. So a not, so I I was at the senior bowl and I think you and I talked about D or Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan, who I think is such a talented guy who I don't think will go in the first round. Don't know for a fact, but just because of how, First of all, there's three great, great ones at the very top of the draft. And then I think there's some others like Kadarius Tony from Florida and Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, who I think are both likely to probably go later in the first round. Yeah. Now, these are for like, you know, March 9th predictions. Um, but I think D. Eskridge is a name. Yeah. Stupid good. But yeah, but, yeah, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Bateman's so fun. So, so fun. Um, you know, I, I, he came onto the scene so well this year. Um, but Eli Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, who you think about Ole Miss wide receivers, and we put them into the frame of AJ Brown and DK Metcalf because those mm. are the two most recent <laughs> ones. Eli Moore, yeah. Elijah Moore cannot be any different. Size so wise. different. He is a yeah. size slot receiver, but he is a freaking water bug out there. Is so so slippery and quick. Caught everything this year. Um, he's probably a pure slot wide receiver, so I don't know that that creeps him in, gets him into the first round. But I think he's a top fifty to fifty-five selection, and I just love the player. You know, I hadn't thought about that this morning, but as you were talking about Elijah Moore, I was thinking about um, like have slot receivers been like is their value gone up? You know, just because you see them on the field more often now and modern, you like maybe is that going to be reflected in draft spots? And then I've seen that Elijah Molden on the other side of the football from my Huskies. He's a slot corner, but he's so good. And I was thinking like, well, yeah. nickel's a new base. Like maybe his value will go up as well. Um, so let's, let's wrap. Number four, a question wrap for me about the cornerbacks. Um, Patrick Sertan or Caleb Farley? So I am going to lean towards Patrick Sertan and I'm going to use kind of a weak tiebreaker and just that like, you know, we don't have the element of an opt out season from Patrick Sertan in a second. Caleb Farley did opt out this past year. So as is the case for any player, Jamar Chase included, by the way, that opted out, like you have to wonder just sort of how Caleb Farley, where he's at football wise, uh, football shape, but both guys like physical profiles are very comparable, both big, tall, long, rangy cornerbacks, but um, a little bit more quote-unquote battle-tested from Patrick Sertain. He's seen every great wide receiver, uh, big game mentality, uh, absolutely no concerns about the moment being too big for him. So it's a slight edge, but I would give Patrick Sertain the, 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 number, the number one cornerback spot in my book. If you take a shot every time people say the word pedigree, talking about him over the next two months, you're going to get I know. I intentionally try to make sure I got rid of it. I know. <laughs> Uh, okay, last question as always comes from Lenny. Lenny, I'm just a messenger, um, wants to let you know, Field, so impressed to hear that you now have two podcasts. But how do you feel about the fact that unlike a dog, your name is not on either of them? Wow. That's what, so 
brutal. Lenny, I'm actually okay with it. And here's the reason why. And for those uh, that love fantasy football, we have a blast with fantasy football now every Sunday morning. One thing that we've had a lot of in fantasy football now is hosts. And if I'm not mistaken, there have been four or five hosts since Robert Flores last hosted the show. Yet on the program guide on Sunday mornings, when you look at ESPN2 at 10 a.m. Eastern time, I believe it still says Fantasy Football Now, hosted by Robert Flores, <laughs> featuring Matthew Barry, Stefan Bell, and Tim Hasselbeck. So that oh, keeps me humble and modest <laughs> that no podcast, you know, shame could ever. Um, I, I keep my. It helps me it, it, again, Lenny. It just it just puts perspective on a lot of things. Gotta stay humble, field. <laughs>